Good morning. Um, you can open your Bible to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Uh, we're not following on the, um, the regular, normal routine through Exodus. That's what we've been going through. Uh, but this morning we're going to take a break from it. Um, <clears throat> a few of us are going up to camp next week for the first week, which is uh, the first week is varsity camp. And um, I'm going to be speaking there to the kids. And Jamel had said, if I'd like to, I could come practice on you all. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to practice on you. Um, no, really, this is the word of God. And um, these are some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. They are some things that I'm going to present to the, to the kids up at camp, to the young people. But I hope that they're profitable uh, to you all as well. Um, they're things that the Lord has laid on my heart that have been very helpful to me and um, have been very stirring to me. Um, one of the things that has really stirred my heart and um, caused me conviction recently is thinking about the world that we live in. We live in a society that is atheistic, that is humanistic. Now, it's interesting because when you go around and talk to different people, I don't find that many, though there are some, but I don't find that many that absolutely deny the existence of God. Okay? Most of them will agree to some, some type of God or whatever it may be. However, what's taught in schools, what's in the curriculums, and particularly in college, at universities, is, is evolution. It's atheistic, and it's tied into humanism. That is, that it's all about man. Man is, is the source of it all. Man is the means by which it's going to take place. And man is the end of it. It's for man. It's about man. It's for man. But the Bible teaches something much different. And that's what I want to talk about today. I think some about um, young people, and I know that every generation has its challenges. Every generation has its difficulties. But I think about young people growing up today in this culture where divorce is so prevalent and, again, evolution, atheism, humanism. The, the statistics for crime are just unbelievable. I was reading some statistics that say like 25% of kids, they believe, are, are being molested growing up. I mean, all the different things that are going on. And I understand that's not just um, specific to this generation, although it seems to be degrading uh, these are problems that have been there all along. And I just think, what is it for a young person to grow up in this type of culture where I'm sure they faced all kind of heartache, they sit before an internet and they can just dive into every kind of imaginable sin, uh, unimaginable sin, just for hours on end, for years on end. And then they have this worldview that's taught to them, which is that the big picture of everything is just some kind of chance and accident. How could you ever come to any peace or purpose in your own life if the big picture of all of it is just that it was one big accident? It was just time and chance and a little bit of matter. And it just all kind of came together. How could you ever find any kind of purpose with a worldview like that? How could you ever have any kind of peace? I mean, imagine growing up if you've been one of these kids that's been molested or had difficulties, broken homes and all kind of, and then this is what's taught to you. This is the worldview, that the big picture is just an accident, boys and girls. It just happened to come about. And you, well, 
good luck. Uh, uh, find your way out there. You know, uh, find some kind of purpose. The good news is you can determine your own purpose. It's really horrible news. Horrible news to try to think of defining my own purpose, why I'm here. When things go wrong, we may set our goals on one thing or another. Or mankind may set purposes out for themselves to do one thing or another. And then when they crumble, what's left? Geez, I don't know. It's just all one big accident. And when things go right and, and, and you accomplish that which you've set out to do, mankind does, you find out that it's not all that it was cracked out to be. Some people have been quoted and it's hard to determine who exactly first said it, but various successful people have um, been quoted on saying this line, I wish that somebody would have told me that when I got to the top, there's nothing there. I wish that somebody would have told me that when I got to the top, there's nothing there. What is there out there? What is there in a society like this, in a culture like this? And again, I'm not saying it's not specific to this generation. It's been the question for all of time. Our president presented a speech and after the Newtown, Connecticut shootings. I don't know if anyone heard it, but I don't listen to many of his speeches, so I was kind of surprised to see that he quotes various scriptures or reads various scriptures from the Bible. And I don't know. I don't listen to many of them, honestly. I don't, so I don't know whether that's commonplace or not. But after a tragedy like that, this was part of his speech. He says, you know, all the world's religions, so many of them represented here today, start with a simple question. Why are we here? Why are we here? What's the big picture? What's the purpose of it all? He says, what gives our life meaning? What gives our acts purpose? We know our time on this earth is fleeting. We know that we will each have our share of pleasure and pain, that even after we chase after some earthly goal, whether it's wealth or power or fame or just simple comfort, we will in some fashion fall short of what we had hoped. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Even when we reach that which we thought was going to be something or everything, we find out we've fallen short. The answer is that there's nothing apart from the Lord. I don't want to make this is not a mystery message. The answer is that there is nothing apart from the Lord. It's all about him. So he goes on to say, we know that no matter how good our intentions, we all stumble sometimes in some way. We'll make mistakes. We'll experience hardships. And even when we're trying to do the right thing, we know that much of our time will be spent groping through the darkness, so often unable to discern God's heavenly plans. There's only one thing we can be sure of. I suppose you'd say this is his answer. And that is the love that we have for our children, for our families, for each other. My question is, is that it? That's all we can be sure of? It's just the love that we have for our children, our love for each other? Is there anything else? And the answer is, apart from the Lord, there is nothing. There is nothing. And so, uh, Romans 11, verse 36, says this. Romans 11, verse 36 says, For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. When we consider not only the big picture, yes, we're going to talk about the big picture. What's it all about? We consider our own lives, our own origin, purpose, destiny. What is it all about? 
The answer is it's all about him. It's all about God, and it's all about his glory, about God and his glory. I know there are different answers perhaps you could give from scriptures as you take different angles on the big questions of life, but I think that it can be rightly summed up in that. It's all about God and his glory. That's the big picture. Creation. We read in the scriptures, like you can turn to Colossians 1.16, you go back to the beginning and consider how did it all begin? Why did it all begin? It says in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. He is the source. Visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. He is the means. And for him, he is the end. He is the source. He is the means. He is the end. It's all about him and his glory. And to think of, an, of a culture of a worldview, of a philosophy that seeks to remove God completely. My question is, what's left? What's left? Sin is sin. And we see tragedies happen all the time. But it's no wonder that we see some of the things that we see. Chaos and, and people opening fire on schools and why did he do it? Why did he do it? Why not? Why not? If this is what's taught, that it's all about man, it's just one big accident. Find your own purpose. If I grow up and I, I'm subjected to terrible things, to the consequences, to, the, to, the, to the, the things that sin brings, why not? What's left? I have no real purpose. This earth has no real purpose. It, it was just one big accident. And, and, and it's all going to end at death anyway. Why not? What's left? The answer is there is nothing apart from the Lord. There is nothing apart from the Lord. It is of him. It is through him. And it is unto him. He is the source. He is the means. He is the end of it all. It is for his glory. It's all about God and his glory. And not just any old God, of course, but we understand from the scriptures it is about the Lord. Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the one who created it all. And there are so many verses we can go into in Hebrews 1 and, and um, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. We go into uh, not just creation, but you look forward to eternity. And Revelation gives us a very good idea of what eternity is about. Is it about me? Is it about you? It's about him. Revelation 4 gives us this picture, just a view into, into eternity. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but it's this picture of a throne and these, these living creatures falling down. There are the 24 elders, and there's this throne in the center of it. They're saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Or if you have the King James, it'll say, For your pleasure they exist and were created. It's all about him and his glory. And then it says this in chapter 5, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne 
a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold... In the midst of the throne, in the midst of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. What's the center of it all? It's him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord of glory. Yet we know that man's heart, no doubt under the influence of Satan, has turned the whole thing around. Like I said, we have no need of God. Um, could you go to, just skip over that first slide, go to the second slide. Or I guess it would be technically the third slide. This is the, the American Humanist Association, okay? This is, their, this is their motto. This is their mission statement. We want good without a God. They don't know how contradictory it is, do they? Because God is good. There is no good apart from him. But this is, their, this is what they're all about. And you can read um, the brother that was here from Portugal. He talked about their manifestos where they have written out in detail. There, but there's nothing new in it. They've got these long manifestos. It's all what was the heart of man under the influence of Satan from the beginning of time. Independence from God. We don't need God. We can have good without him. We can, we can determine our own purpose. We can make things right. We can work it all out. And I'm going to go back to that in a minute. Look back at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. It says, Now the, old, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Those are man-made pieces of material, brick and asphalt. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Let us build. We'll be the source of it. We can do it. Who are we going to build it for? Let's build it for ourselves. This will be for us. A tower whose top is in heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. It was all about man. We have no need of God. Independence from God. You remember what the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3. You can be like God. You can be like God. And what he's saying is, you have no longer a need of God. You can be like him. You have no need for dependence upon him. It can be all about you. Uh, look forward at uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4.
And this is, these are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's so interesting as you look throughout history. I just took a little history tour myself through 20th century history to see the different dictators and the, the atrocities and the things that have happened. This is it. This is the heart of it right here. Nebuchadnezzar, the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? I'm the source. I'm the means by which it's going to happen. And I'm the end of it all. No need for God. We can do it without him. And then... Um, Finally, in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, another story that I'm sure you're familiar with. It says, now Herod, we'll just start at verse 21, chapter 12, verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. It's the way it went. It says, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. That's Isaiah 42, 7. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Brothers and sisters and visitors here today, there is no life apart from the Lord. It's all about Him and His glory. And the Christian life is just as much about Him as is the, the grand scope of, of history. We can do nothing apart from Him. Um, if you would, just flip to that next slide, to the next one. So this is the, uh, the closing statement of the first humanist manifesto. And this is what it says. So stand the thesis of religious humanism. Though we consider the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task for mankind. And I put the parentheses. It's for man. Man is the end. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams. It'll be through man. Man is the means. That he has within himself the power for its achievement. It'll be of man. Man is the source. No need for God. No need for God. And again, these are, these are not new things. These started with Satan himself. If you would look at Isaiah 14... We wonder, where does a philosophy like this come from? This wicked philosophy comes from Satan himself. In Isaiah 14, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I 
will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That was Satan's idea. I'll go there. Above the highest heights. No need for God. I'll be God. And that's what man has said. And that's throughout all of history. We can go back to the beginning of time. Man and their independence under the influence of Satan. Eve, you can be like God. You have no need for him. You can be independent of God. No need for God. And <clears throat> it's interesting because this first Humanist Manifesto was written in 1933. 1933. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about 20th century history. But if you do, right away, you know that beginning around the 1920s and 30s, there are some of the most unbelievable atrocities ever happened. Hitler, and from what I was reading, right around the 1930s, the Nazi regime took control. And the things that they did were unspeakable. You begin to just pull up things on the internet, you're free to do so. And Mao Zedong was a dictator in China. Some 40 million people. World War II, 70 plus million people died. Um, Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, all around that time, around World War II, and then going forward. And then in the 1970s, they rewrote a second manifesto. And I'd encourage you, just read the first statement on it. And I don't know, did I, did I have, do I have one more slide with it there, Jason? No? They basically say, and looking back at history and all the atrocities that have happened, well, we were overly optimistic. And they even mention Hitler and some of the regimes and the things that have happened, the atrocities of man exalting themselves to the place of God. And yet they hold to, and you can read it yourself, they hold to that we can do it. We can do it. We still stand by it. We don't need God. We can have good without a God. Um, <clears throat> when we consider that the big picture is all about God and his glory, creation, redemption, going forward into eternity, you look at Revelation 19, even God and his perfect justice and judgments, you find that what is it? It's glory to God. It's that God would be exalted. We read from, from uh, Psalms this morning. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. That's what it is. It's the glorification, the exaltation, the magnification of the Lord, the Lord of the Bible. You consider, and I understand that most of us here today know the Lord. Consider, how do we in our lives give glory to God? How do we apply this? I don't, I'm not just teaching some abstract thing. I was, um, Jessica and I had had an argument a few months ago as the Lord was laying this on my heart. God and his glory, the big picture, what's it all about? And our own origin, purpose, and destiny. What, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? It's all about the Lord and his glory. And Jessica and I had, Jessica and I had an argument and um, I had been going through some of these things. And um, I literally woke up from bed that morning and right away the thought in my mind was what are you doing it's not about you it's about God and his glory so what if the things that 
you want or not done exactly the way you want. So what? It's not about you. It's about the Lord and his glory. You consider the perfect example of this. The Lord Jesus coming into this earth, taking the form of a servant, is what the Bible says. The humility that it took for him to do that. Just look at two passages. In Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, and I just can't help but think, but when I read about this is the, the pinnacle of humanity. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son into the world. And I can't help but think of the many people, the thousands I'm sure, millions, that here was God, the pinnacle of, of, of time, sending forth his son, and yet they carried about their business, having no care for God, no desire for God, no need for God, totally missing. God working through history, all these things that he's doing, and he continues to do so, and they totally missed it. But there were these men, the shepherds, and it says uh, in verse 8, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. Now listen to this. See if you could find anything more humbling than this. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This was God's entrance into humanity. The Lord Jesus is our perfect example because by his humility, God received the glory. Now we understand the Lord Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. But he leaves us an example of perfect humility by which God can receive all of the glory. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And this is borne out all through the life of the Lord Jesus, and it's our example to follow as we seek to, to know him, to worship him like we did this morning, to serve him. What is, what is the Christian life about? It's all about him. I get to know him, to know the one who's the creator of all the universe, to know the one who is working throughout history to bring about his purposes and his plans. I get to come in my own heart, yes, and corporately I get to come and I get to worship him. That is to pour out my heart, the sacrifice of praise, where I get to see him exalted to his rightful place as the God of the universe. And then I get to go out and I get to serve him. I get to be on the winning team. God's going to win this battle. And I get to be on his team. I get to go out and serve him, to be a part of his purposes, to see his kingdom, his people growing. It's a wonderful thing. The Lord Jesus is our ultimate example. In John 13, Perhaps the most humbling scene, apart from the cross itself, that you can find in the life of the Lord Jesus, and there are many, is this scene in John 13, where the Lord Jesus is washing 
the feet of his disciples. Imagine that. The God of glory, the Lord of the universe, entered in to time, to mankind that shook their fist at God. We don't need you. We can do it ourselves. And here he is washing the feet of his disciples. And then, in verses 18 to 29, there's this picture of the Lord Jesus being betrayed by Judas. Imagine that. The God of glory sitting at a table with you and you're going to turn your back on him? You're going to reject him? But that's what happened. Then it says this in verse 31. After this humbling scene. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Perfect humility, perfect subjection to the will of the Father. What are we to do as believers? What a life we have in him. I understand we have our difficulties, and that we do. We still live in a world plagued with sin. We have trials. Some of us want to be married and we're not married. Some of us have difficulties with children and all their different things. Different trials, different struggles, different problems. But all that God has given us. Do you understand what you have in the Lord? You imagine being on the outside, being part of an atheistic, humanistic culture that says it's all about you? You're the source. That's what I have. I have to look within myself and I have to look at you for all the answers. What we have in the Lord. He's given us many things that we can find purpose in. Given us many things that are our purpose. And back in the Garden of Eden, he gave Adam work. He gave him a wife. He gave him children. You want to know part of your practical purpose here on earth? There you go. Work. Marry. Have children. And do it as unto the Lord for his glory. And of course, there's the whole aspect, and they're so tied together, the practical and the spiritual. To know him, to worship him, to serve him. What a blessing. What a blessing. Sometimes we were out um, the other evening, and looking out at this sunset, the beauty, the splendor. And man has the ability, we don't diminish God's glory, but certainly we learn from Acts that God takes us very seriously. We have the ability as man to look at what God has done in creation, in redemption. We have the ability to either say, to God be the glory, or no need of God. Just came about. And what's the big picture? Well, it's all about me. The good life for me. <clears throat> I want to close with a story in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I I often think and I've seen and I'm sure you have as well 
you look around at the counselors of this world, even some of the parents of the world who do not know the Lord. There's a very real sense in which you could say that they, they know what life is not, but they do not know what it is. They know what life is not, but they do not know what it is. And what I mean by that is that, and I've even talked to some parents with teenage children and that, they've been down all of these broken roads. They've been down these hard paths. Alcohol, partying, drugs, the list goes on and on and on. All the things that the world offers, all the things that Satan puts before you and says, this is it. And for the ones who haven't been totally consumed by it, they can look back and say, that's not life. There has to be something else. There's a story of a mother who had herself been down many of those hard roads, yet didn't know the Lord. She had tried many of those things that the world puts out there and says, look, it's all about you. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time. But she had been down. She'd been through husbands. She had been through the parties. She'd been through the alcohol. She'd tried the drugs. She tried everything that the world has to offer. She tried it all. And she has a, a young son now. She's a teenage son. And as she sees his eyes start to contemplate all these supposed splendors out in the world, she begins to warn him, son, that's not life. That's not life. She finds him one day. Clearly he's been on drugs. He's high. She says, that's not life. She finds him another time. He's partying. He's enjoying every kind of sensual activity you can imagine. She says, I've been there. That's not life. But the question comes echoing back. Then what is? Then what is? You tell me what life is not. Now tell me what it is. And I hope, I know this is Father's Day, I hope that as parents, as fathers, especially fathers, we hold the biggest responsibility to be able to communicate to our kids not only what life is not, but let me show you by my own life and yes, by my words, what it is. And it's all about the Lord and it's all about His glory. That's not life. Then what is? There's a song written before I just read, go through this. This Luke 8 is going to be very, very quick and just for the glory of the Lord. There's a song written back, I think it was the 60s. I don't know, maybe some of you know of it. It's, I listened to the song. The words are actually a lot better than the song itself in the, in the sense that they communicate a message. The, the music is, is pretty bad, I think. But anyways, supposedly the guy was very, very popular. And these are the words that he wrote. From the canyons of the mind, we wander on and stumble blind through the often-tangled maze of starless nights and sunless days, while asking for some kind of clue or road to lead us to the truth, but who will answer? Side by side, two people stand, together vowing hand in hand. That's love embedded in their hearts, but soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives, and when they seek the hows and whys, who will answer? On a strange and distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child. Because a bullet running wild has struck him down, and now we cry, Dear God, oh why, oh why? But who will answer? High upon a lonely ledge, a figure teeters near the edge, and jeering crowds collect below to egg him on with go, man, go. 
But who will ask him what led him to his private day of doom? And who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? I wonder whether this man had ever found the answer. What is it all about? As we look at all the different things throughout life, birth, conception, creation, nature, marriage, all the different things that go on. Do we have an answer? What is it all about? It's about the Lord and His glory. But perhaps you're one who has not found the answer. And I don't want to leave this in vague terms. There was a woman who was just like this. She had all kind of problems. Luke 8 and verse 43 says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years she dealt with this infirmity. Who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Is that the story of many walking this earth today? You can spend all your money. You can go to every philosopher, every counselor, every wise person, every professor. But if they know not the Lord, it'll be just like this. You'll come up empty. She had spent all of her livelihood on physicians. Boy, those are the, the wise people of the world, aren't they? But she could not be healed by any. She came from behind and touched the border of his garment. It's the Lord Jesus. It says, immediately, her flow of blood was stopped. Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. He's the only one with the power. He's the only one with the answers. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Are there any others that can, that can solve the problems? Any other way for your sins to be dealt with? Any other way to have peace with God? Any other way to have purpose for living? Any other way to have hope beyond the grave? You want a senseless origin? That's evolution. You want a meaningless purpose? That's evolution. You want a hopeless destiny? That's evolution. That's atheistic humanism. It leaves you with nothing, and it's not the truth. That's the real question. Is it the truth? It's not the truth. There is only one. It is the Lord Jesus. He has the answers to all of life's biggest questions. You want peace with God? You want peace in your life? I'm not saying everything's just going to go along just perfectly. We struggle still with some of the things with health and all the different things like that. But the, the soul has questions that need to be answered, has difficulties that need to be solved only in the Lord Jesus. There were throngs of people there that day, if you read the whole story, and we had time to, throngs of people that went away unchanged. But this woman, because of her personal encounter with the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, 
she went away changed. She'd been healed. And I ask you today, maybe you've been just a part of the throngs, a part of the crowds that come in and out of churches Sunday after Sunday. Maybe that's been you, but you've never had a personal interaction, a personal acknowledgement of your own problem. This woman had problems. You've got a problem. It's called sin, born in sin, sin, shaped in iniquity. Have you ever had that personal connection with the Lord Jesus? Ever had that personal interaction with him, or have you just been part of the crowds coming and going? He has all the answers. There is no life apart from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that guides us into all truth by your spirit. We thank you for the answers that we have in you. Oh God, what a blessing it is to know you. What a blessing it is to walk with you. What a blessing it is to be able to go to you for all the answers. We thank you, O oh God, that by the Lord Jesus, we can be healed. We were condemned because of our sin, but the Lord Jesus can set us free. We thank you for that. We were like prisoners being held captive, bound by Satan's captive chains. That's what we sung this morning. But the Lord Jesus can set us free. He has the answers. O oh God, we thank you. We thank you for what we have in you and in thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. We want to see you exalted, to see your name lifted up. And we understand, O oh God, this is the picture throughout history, that it's about you and your glory. We give you our thanks. We ask your blessing today in Jesus' name.